Before I get into my sermon, you talk about a blessing. This morning, a family comes to my office to see me before church. And Dottie said, well, he's gone down to talk to the PowerPoint people. So he's somewhere down a back hall. Well, I'm coming back to my office and I look up and here comes his family down the hall. And I walked, thought, what in the world? In a nutshell, this is the most amazing thing. This family has two, two sons, one seven years of age. And the little seven-year-old, uh, his dad said, Pastor, um, our son here has something to, to give you to give to the church. And what he, what he gave me, he gave me this envelope, and it has uh, hurricane relief, and then it has out here $341. And he said he wants to give this to you to turn in to send to the people who need help uh, down in Louisiana that uh, are going through such a difficult time. And I asked him, I said, how did you get $341 as a seven-year-old boy? And listen to this. He set him up a lemonade stand and his mother and grandmother baked some cookies and they sold lemonade and cookies. Now folks, number one, that young man's gonna grow up to be a great entrepreneur when you say that. But what a testimony. And I just said to myself, what a blessing to see parents teaching their little children about tithing, about giving, and about helping other people. And so, you know, I knew this was going to be a great service before I ever got out here because I was so excited over seeing that wonderful, blessed thing. Well, you know, here's what I believe. I really believe deep down, all of us want to do the will of the Lord in our lives. I do. Easier said than done. Would we agree with that? Because there's a problem. And that problem is our, our flesh is seemingly always in warfare with the Spirit. And uh, there's this tug of war that goes on when we become a Christian. Even though we have the Holy Spirit living in us, we still, we still have that flesh nature. Now, we might not say much about it publicly, but we all know we do. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Romans, he had much to say about it. He said this, he said, you know, what I want to do is not what I do. What I do not want to do, it seems like that's oftentimes what I do. What he's talking about, he's talking about this battle between the flesh and the spirit. Daily, you and I deal with that over and over and over. And sometimes uh, old flesh wins out. Hopefully most of the time spirit wins out. But either way, here's what I believe. Deep inside all of us want to live our lives in the will of God. In other words, we want to live our lives pleasing God. How to live pleasing God. That's your desire. That's my desire. We know we don't always measure up. We know we don't always do it. But God knows our heart. And you know your heart. And most of us in this room, without a question in my mind, deep down in our heart, we just want to live our life uh, in the will of God. Now, when we talk about the will of God, the encouraging thing to me is <laughs> many things in life are, you, knowing the will of God is very, very easy. We, you may not think of it that way, but it's true. You say, how's that so? Well, number one, God gave you a brain. God gave you a brain. And your brain could look at many things and say, 
Now, if I did that, that would not be in the will of God. Or if I did not do that, well, then that would not. I mean, we have minds. We have brains. I mean, you don't have to get your Bible out to figure out everything. God gave us all a brain. But not only do we have a brain to know the will of God, better we have the Bible. We all have the Bible. We've been talking about it these, these Wednesday nights. Now, I heard what John said. He guaranteed that this would be the last Wednesday night on the translations. Now, let me say this. And then I've got to remember where I left off in his sermon. <laughs> okay. Uh, he and I meet on Tuesday afternoons. And I bring what I have. And he has what he has. And we put it together. Now, he made that statement. He has no idea what I'm bringing Tuesday afternoon. Our intention, could it be said this way? We intend to finish this week. Now, what he did not say, and I asked him, I said, did you forget about the handout? He said, yes, I did. John has put together everything. It's about eight or 10 pages when it's typed up this week, and we're going to hand it out Wednesday night. So all this information that we've given out over these past two Wednesday nights, and this Wednesday night is probably the most practical at all. Uh, there are two or three things that I want to kind of throw in this Wednesday night, and I do think we finish. I hope you can be present. But be that as it may, what is the value of all this? The value is God's given us a Bible. When the Bible speaks, God speaks, and the Bible clearly teaches us things that are the will of God. For example, we have the Ten Commandments. Well, I mean, they're just, you know, black ink on white paper. We have ten things. Some we are not to do. Some we are to do. It's clear as a bell. Not only that, we have the Sermon on the Mount over in the New Testament, Matthew's chapters 5, 6, and 7. You know, if you talk about a practical portion of Scripture. Uh, it's God's will that you and I are salt and light as we live our life every day. That's the will of God. The Bible is very clear. The Bible says we're to pray. The Bible in the Sermon on the Mount talks about forgiveness. The Bible talks about not judging other people. So you have, you have three chapters in the Gospel of Matthew that just are filled with things that are the will of God. And then... We have these other books in the New Testament. And in these books, there are some verses and passages that say, literally, this is the will of God. I mean, those words are there in, in, in black ink on white paper. And it's exciting to me, for example. It's the will of God that people be saved. The Bible says God's not willing that any should perish. So it's God's will. Uh, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That is the will of God. The Bible is, it, it is God's will that we not be conformed to this world. In Romans chapter 12, you can read those first two verses and you'll encounter the words, for this is the will of God, that we not let the world conform us to their standard. Boy, listen, we've never needed to hear that more than we do in this day and time. We are going down a track at an unprecedented speed, just in contrary to about everything God's word teaches. And oh my gracious, well, we have the Bible, 
And uh, we're not going to let laws that are passed say this is right when it's wrong. God says what is right, and it'll always be right till Jesus comes. But the fact of the matter is, it's the will of God we not be conformed to the world. Uh, it's, it, the Bible says it, it's the will of God that Christians be filled with the Spirit. The Bible says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. That's the will of God. It is the will of God that Christians submit to governing authorities. In fact, the Bible is just crystal clear about that. It even has the words for this is the will of God. Now, if our government authorities, uh, they may make a ruling that opposes what God teaches, that's a different matter. But I'm saying to you as Christian people, you know, whether whatever government authority it, it is, the Word of God says it's His will that we obey those authorities. Now this morning, I want us to think about something the Bible clearly says is the will of God that is mentioned seldom. Sadly so, mentioned seldom. In evangelical churches, I, I've grown up in a Baptist church. The great emphasis is always missions, and it should be, and evangelism, and it should be, but not to the exclusion of anything that God's Word says is His will. And I'm talking about what the Bible has to say about sanctification being the will of God. Now, if you'll open your Bible to 1 Thessalonians, the little book of 1 Thessalonians, and while you're doing that, let me briefly just give enough background so this book comes alive in a very up-to-date way. The Apostle Paul, when he left Philippi, he and Silas left Philippi, they traveled to Thessalonica. And when he got to Thessalonica, you can read this, you might want to jot this down, Acts chapter 17. When they got to Thessalonica, they immediately, on the Sabbath, went to a synagogue. Now, we're talking about a Jewish church service, is how you and I would say it. It's a synagogue. In Philippi, there were no synagogues. There were not enough men in Philippi to have a synagogue. The Jewish law said there had to be 10 men, 10 heads of families, men, to have a synagogue in a, in a town. Well, Philippi didn't have that. And that's how Paul went out and met Lydia by the water, the river. Okay. But in Thessalonica, a huge, huge city in the day of the Apostle Paul, here's, here's this synagogue he went in. And the Bible says on three consecutive Sundays, he went into the Jewish synagogue and reasoned with them that Christ was the Messiah. <laughs> now, folks, that'd go over like a lead balloon. That'd be like somebody coming in here that doesn't believe in Jesus and having this pulpit and saying, folks, I've come to tell you that Jesus is a hoax. Jesus is not God. Well, you and I would, that's blasphemy. We'd think, you know, what's going on here? Well, think how the Jewish people felt. Here's a man coming and he's saying to them, you, you people are missing the boat. Jesus is a Messiah. Well, it created such an uproar that they had to get Paul and Silas out at nighttime for safety's sake. But while he was there, probably maybe four months, possibly six, some say, he, he started a church, and the church flourished. 
It grew. People were coming to Christ. And he travels on then to Athens and then to Corinth. And while in Corinth, he writes a letter. Timothy's back pastor in this church. And he writes a letter, number one, to encourage the people. You know, folks, Christians need to be encouraged. Is that not true? We all do. Well, that's why he wrote this letter. And then he wanted to express his love to them. And then he wanted to emphasize the return of Christ. In the book of 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 4, you have a great section of Scripture on, on the return of Christ. And then he wanted to say because of the return of Christ, his coming should have a practical effect and impact on your life living now. And all that letter is what we have here in these little books, First and Second Thessalonians. Now, we are looking in First Thessalonians chapter number four, and we pick up in the part of the letter where he's talking about the practical effect that the promised return of Christ should have on and in the life of believers. So let's just read a little scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It says, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Literally how you ought to live in a way to please God. So he's he said, look, because of what's going to happen, you need to be living in a way that pleases God. He said, for you know what commandment we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Verse 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, here it is in the Bible. Here it is. It's God's will. What? Sanctification. And then... Paul knew they needed to experience sanctification in many areas, but it's interesting. He zeroes in on the sexual area, the moral purity area. And I believe the reason he did that was he knew that if they could win in this area, they could have victory in every area. So let's see what he had to say. He said, this is the will of God, your sanctification that you should abstain from sexual immorality. He started with sexual purity. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel, his body, in sanctification and honor, and not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Now, Gentiles here is used in a spiritual sense, talking about people that are not believers that no one should take advantage and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God. Paul said, this is not something I'm advising you would be good. This is what God says who has also given us his Holy Spirit. You see, sexual impurity is not just a mistake. No, no, no. Think it through. Think it through. Sexual impurity uh, is, is worship of pleasure over worship of God. Now, if you take your bulletin, and I took mine, and you're going to have to really print small. They didn't leave much writing room. And the reason they didn't, the pastor wrote too long a paragraph. It's what they said. 
But anyway, have you ever noticed everybody blames the pastor? Have you noticed that? But anyway, here's what I wish you'd write down. This is key. Look at it. Worship of pleasure over God. Whatever the pleasure is, it matters not, is like a blocked artery, and it hinders the process of sanctification. Now think about that. Worship of pleasure over God. Now here, he zeroed in on sexual purity, but this applies to everything. Worship of pleasure over God, whatever the pleasure. (laughs) What does it do? Well, look at it. (laughs) It, It's like a blocked artery. It hinders, it hinders the process of sanctification. We live in a day where pleasure has become the God. It really has. It's just this pleasure. That, and all pleasure is not evil, but all pleasure is evil when you worship a pleasure, whatever it is, over worship of God. And so this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. He was saying it to them so long ago, but it applies to us today in such a, such a real way. Now, now here's a, here's a situation. When, when a person becomes a Christian, think in your life when you became a Christian, three things happened instantaneously to you. And the Bible calls one of those things regeneration. And what that big old word simply means, it means that God imparts new life in you. In fact, jot a Bible verse down. I'll turn back and just read it. But in Galatians chapter 4, in verse number 19, the apostle Paul said, I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. So I was a little boy when I trusted Jesus. Think when you trusted Jesus, what did God do? Well, at the moment you transferred your trust and your good life and your good works, and you transferred that trust over into Jesus and his work on the cross, shedding his blood to pay for your sins. The moment you did that, here's what happened. Instantly, instantly, God imparted new life into you. And the Bible calls that regeneration. Now, a second thing that happened to you when you became a Christian was what the Bible calls justification. That's another of these big old long Bible words. And all that word really means is that God at that moment looked at all of your sins committed as forgiven. It's just like as though they never had happened. That's what justification is. And then a third thing happened. And the third thing is the Bible calls it adoption. That just simply means, you read in the Bible, it means you became a member of the family of God. Now, here's the picture I want you to get. The moment you trusted Jesus, instantaneously, these three things took place in your life. Regeneration, justification, and adoption. Now, having said that, those three, re, re, regeneration, justification, adoption, they, uh, they occur at the beginning of our Christian life. And they'll put that on the screen. The remainder of your Christian life, the Bible calls sanctification. 
Now let's think about that just quickly a moment. Just, I'll just take my illustration, but you make your own illustration. I became a Christian when I was about a little, I was in my sevens. I was a seven-year-old boy, about, maybe about seven and a half. I'll just round off, say seven years old. So now that means as a little boy, and I didn't understand the word uh, regeneration, justification, sanctification. I just knew God was speaking to my little heart. I gave all of me that I knew to all of God I knew. I've never doubted that. But the point is, three things happened to me. Now, think when you became a Christian. Now, you may not know the day, date, and hour, but think of when or that time in your life you feel like, I know I made things right with God. I settled things with God. Okay, here's what happened. When you transferred faith in yourself, to your trust and faith in Jesus, God imparted new life in you. God looked at your past sins and saw them all as forgiven, just as though they'd never happened. And he adopted you into his family. All that happened. Now, my case, for 73 more years and still ticking to the glory of God, I've been out here on this journey the Bible calls sanctification. So I've been in on this journey, 73 years. Now, go back to you. When did you become a Christian? All right? That moment, until this very moment, you're living in what the Bible calls this period of sanctification. You say, well, what is sanctification? Sanctification is simply, very simply, growth in likeness to Christ. That's, I mean, it's a big old word, but that's what it means. It's just growth in likeness to Christ. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. And it, it just, it, it'll never can be completed. In fact, Philippians chapter one, verse six says, being confident of this very thing, that he which began a good work in you, in me, I was seven years old, will complete it on the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, you will never be complete in your sanctification until you either go to be with the Lord or that day he returns and then we'll move to glorification. But that's where, so you're somewhere in this journey, this process of becoming more Christ-like, which simply means that we are to live our life making our decisions and having a lifestyle in the likeness of Christ. That's the standard. That's what we're striving for. That's what God's plan for us is. And so we're to grow. It's, but here's the thing. It's a process. Whereas regeneration and justification and adoption, they were all instantaneous. But this is a process. It's a journey. And somewhere in that journey, all of us are and heading where God has us to be. Now, here's the encouraging thing. God has a role in this process of sanctification. It's not like... We put our faith and trust in you. We're saying, okay, what I've got to do, I've got to do it all by myself. No, no, no. We have God to help us. And I wish you'd jot this down. First of all, we have God the Father. This is the good part. We have God the Father. If you turn over in chapter 5 in 1 Thessalonians and look in verse 23, it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify that word just means to set apart from sin. You completely, that means every part of you. And the verse says that. And you, your whole spirit, your whole soul, your whole body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have God the Father 
to help us in this process. Not only that, we have God the Son. We have God the Son. You might just jot the verse down. It's in 1 Peter chapter number 2, verse 21. We'll not turn there, but in that verse, the Bible says Jesus left us an example that we should follow. So we have Jesus helping us by his example in addition to his teachings. And then we have God the Spirit. We have all three persons of the Trinity helping us. If you're in Thessalonians 1, turn over in 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2. It'll just be a page or two in your Bible. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, look in verse number 13. Paul said, we abound to give thanks to God always for you, beloved, by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit. So think of it this way. You have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Dr. Lord John Ogilvie, many of us read his devotional books. He's one of the greatest men of God that I ever knew. But he, he explained this. He called it the glory circle. We have the glory circle. And like we as believers are in the middle of that circle. And then we have God the Father, we have God the Son, and we have God the Spirit. What Dr. Ovi would say is we need to understand as we live our Christian life, we have God the Father, we have God the Son, we have God the Spirit. All three in one are helping us. He called it the glory circle. And so when you're out there battling some temptation and old flesh just trying to win over spirit, remember, you're not in the battle alone. You have the glory circle. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit all working to be part to help you. But we have our role in this process. It's not like nothing we're to do. And our role, I mentioned only three things very quickly. First of all, Bible reading and meditation. You're never going to grow in the process of being in the likeness of Christ any more than you are right now, not reading more Bible than you do presently in your life. The more time we spend reading God's Word, that's why we're having this emphasis on Wednesday night. Someone said to me, and it was probably well said, Pastor, you and John missed the boat on that. I said, what do you mean? He said, you should have done it on a Sunday morning. Because the purpose is to help people appreciate better the Bible they have. And to help them understand, they can put their faith and trust in it. It's the Word of God. And we talking about our, why we have all these different translations. It's because we're not all the same. We, we, we come from different backgrounds. We have different educational levels. We have different understandings. And so we're, we're so blessed in our day to have all these different translations to, to help us. And the more we can understand how we receive Scripture, the more we just are thankful to God for what we have. So Bible reading and, 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 and meditation. Meditation is where you, you, you think about what you've read. You, you read it. You say, what did it mean to the people of that day? And then like, how does it apply to me today? That's the meditation part. And then prayer. That's another, that's another part of our role in sanctification. And then not only that, self-discipline. So you have to be self-disciplined to have time with God every day. It won't just happen. It won't just happen. You're going to have to 
decide, hey, I'm going to have to not do this or I'm going to have to get up earlier. I'm going to have to make this change or that change. It's sad to say it's Sunday. Many professing Christians today will spend far more time reading their newspaper than reading the Word of God. You have to guard again. Did you know I quit taking, I used to take USA Today. I love to read the paper. But it dawned on me one day, I was, I was skimping on Bible time, reading all this stuff in the USA Today. Now, I'm not suggesting you don't read the newspaper. I'm just saying, I, I, I didn't realize I'd almost become addicted to the newspaper. Or if it's not the newspaper, it's the TV. If it's not the TV, it's the Facebook or the Twitter or the whatever. You know, we've just got all these things that, I mean, they're just 24 hours in the day. They're just seven days in a week. You can't make a day, you can't make an hour, but you can make use of a day. You can make use of an hour. Self-discipline, or as I think about this whole matter of sanctification. Now, I mentioned earlier, missions and evangelism, and folks, I'm, I've been here long enough, I don't have to prove my heart's a heart of missions and evangelism. But that's not the only thing God says for Christians. You know, if you stop and think about missions, think of this. Missions and evangelism is what God does through us. That's what what this gift is. Through this young seven-year-old boy, he's going to reach out and be a blessing. Okay, God does things through us. Now, sanctification, that is the process of becoming in the likeness of Jesus, Okay, God does something in us. It's very different. And the sad thing to me is there's so little emphasis about it. So little emphasis about it. And we just think, well, as long as we're doing missions and evangelism, well, then we're doing the total of the will of God. Well, we're doing the will of God in those two areas. But look, folks, the, the more we do the will of God in the area of being in the process of being more in the likeness of Christ in our decisions, in our lifestyle, the more evangelism missions we'll do. Think of this. One day, if you're a Christian, you're going to stand before God at the beam of judgment. Now, you're not going to be judged by your sins. They've already been judged. That's the great white throne judgment. I pray you won't be at that judgment. That's for the non-believer. That's for those who would not accept Christ. But for all of us who've trusted Jesus, one day we're going to stand before God himself at the beam of judgment. And the Bible says we're going to give an account unto God for the things we've done in our body, whether they be good or bad. You know what we're going to be judged by? We're going to be judged, not by our sins. We're going to be judged on our sanctification. We're going to stand before Almighty God. And you think about that a moment. Now, I became a Christian when I was seven. Think when you became a Christian. From that moment in your life and mine, we've been on this journey, this process of sanctification. Here's my question this morning. Have you done well with this? Are you growing in likeness of Christ? Do your decisions and does your lifestyle, is it one that Jesus left an example? 
Now, here's what I know. All of us would say, <laughs> no, not, not as much as it should be. And you know what the devil will do? He'll dump a pile of guilt because none of us are there yet. Could I have an amen to that? Amen. No, no. So we feel bad about ourselves. Well, look, here's what we need to do this morning. Let's just draw a line in the sand and admit to God, God, <laughs> 73 years I've been this journey and I'm a long way, God, from where I know I should be. But I can't redo my 73 years, God. So I'm going to ask you to forgive me where I've not been self-disciplined, where I've not read my Bible, where I've not meditated, where my decisions have not been what they should have been, where my lifestyle's not been what it should have been. Look, folks, we could, we, all of us could fill up a big old bucket of that, a barrel. But let's just take that big old bucket and barrel this morning and just put it on the blood of Jesus. And ask God to forgive us. But look, you know, God forgives when there's repentance. And repentance means a person changes. And that's this line in the sand we're going to draw this morning. And say, okay, God, I repent of all that. And God, repentance means, and you know if it's real, and here's how God knows it's real. Hey, you know it's real. God gave you a brain. It's real when you change and say, beginning today, God, with a glory circle helping me, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, I'm going to do my part. And for however long I have left on this earth, God, in this process of sanctification, God, I'm asking you to help me live and be more in the likeness of Jesus, that my decisions in my lifestyle be in the will of God. And I don't do it alone, God. I'm asking you to help, but I'm promising you this morning, God, I'm making a commitment to you. I'm going to do my part, and I know you'll do your part. Now, I'm going to give you a chance to do that. Number two, quickly, others today, there may be in this room, or you may be watching, you would say, you know, Maybe this is my problem. I've been wanting to do better, but somehow I just can't get over the hump. It may be that God's never imparted new life into you. You see, some today need to trust Jesus. Invite him to come into your life and forgive you of your sins.